dive into the scriptures and you can open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you need a Bible, it's right there in the pew. Some of my youth, you might have to grab one that is, um, you might have to grab one and share it. We're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In the New Testament about uh, after Romans, you'll be able to find 1 and 2 Corinthians and we're going to chapter 4. And the reason why we're going there today is because we as people, we, we sometimes need a perspective adjustment. We need to understand the role that God is using, uh, the way that God is using things in our life. And sometimes when we adjust our perspective, we're able to value it that much more. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 16 is where we're going to start. We're going to read through verse 18. Let me get an amen when you're there. Verse 16 starts. So we do, and if if somebody needs some help, help them get there, y'all. And we start with, so we do not lose heart. It's also up on the screen. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul starts with do not lose heart. Earlier in the chapter, he says do not lose heart in verse 1. And that's talking about uh, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. But here he shifts. He actually shifts to say don't lose heart means that 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 he should be able to continue to persevere on even in the midst of persecution. That persecution should not be something that takes away you all celebrating and us celebrating who Paul is. That that the people of God should not lose heart because they see Paul being challenged again and again and again. And these people are starting to question, Paul, if you're really the bomb, why all this drama happening in your life? You're supposed to be the apostle with the gospel. You got God behind you, the favor of God. What's up with all this drama? Look a few verses ahead. Up, up. Go back to verse 8. We're still in chapter 4. Verse 8 says, this is Paul saying his experiences. We are afflicted in every way, but not what? Crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul's talking about this life that he has that, that's filled with persecution, but is leading folks to doubt his ability as a leader. But see, you, you and I aren't that far from the Corinthians, you know what I mean? Let's, let's just say that, uh, that, 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 that a bunch of drama hits me. Let's say that tomorrow somebody steals both of my cars. And now my family and I, the only way we can get around is by walking. And when you see our shoes, you know we got many miles on our shoes. Let's say that that same day, 
I go home and in, and and while I'm walking home from the church because I don't have a car anymore, some some drug dealers mistake me for a thief and they jump me and beat me down. And then right as I escape them, I run to the police and the police beat me down for being a black man. Let's just say, can it get worse? Huh? Can it get worse? Let's just say that as I'm leaving, a couple dogs come out the backyard. I got away, but here come Cujo. Grab my ankle. I don't want it to get worse. I know. But then I walk in here on Sunday, beat it, beaten, battered, looking horrible. And I say, open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Would you, have a, would you have the same belief in Pastor Leon? I, I appreciate that. If all that happened to Pastor Russ, I'd be struggling. I'm just going to be honest. What's, what's going on with your life, Pastor? What, what, what's happening that, you, that all this affliction is coming? And yet we're supposed to sit back and trust God's favors on you? See, that's, that's what Paul is experiencing. That's what he's going through. The people in Corinth are saying, wait, you're supposed to be the apostle. But when I look at your life, suffering see, keeps seeming to meet you at the door. You leave from one situation, you enter into another, and suffering is waiting there. If you can, keep your finger in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Flip back a few books and get, go to Acts. Acts chapter 28, it's going to be up here on the screen. Paul has left, and he's on a ship trying to get to Rome. The ship gets wrecked. Folks are scared that they're not going to be able to live, that the storm's going to take them under. They get washed ashore. When they get to shore, this place called Malta, I pick it up in in verse 2. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and they welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out and because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Verse four, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. You see, you see that? You see, you see how they don't know this brother's background. They don't know what this brother's done. But automatically, because they see persecution, they're assigning a title to this brother. Murderer. They got, you got to justify the suffering somehow. He had to do something, right? But though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But look how fickle we are. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Look at that. Look at look at the example of how, how quickly we don't, we don't know what to do with suffering. And so we got to justify it somehow. We, we got to see it as what did you do wrong? How are you being punished? 
Look at how bad your life is. This is, just, this is just the outcome of you doing something bad. But when you make it through, look at God. Look at God. But see, Paul is even saying, hey, I, I'm not going to heap on you, the Corinthians. I'm not going to heap on you, people of Malta, how, how bad and how crazy you are. Because look, I was there too. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. As Paul is referring to his perspective of Jesus and the perspective that other people had of Jesus it says from now on, therefore, oh, I'm sorry. Second Corinthians five, verse 16, verse 16. So that would be the next chapter where you had your finger in. It says from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. You see, if you if you go with that mindset that persecution means you've done something wrong, then how do you justify that with Jesus? How do you, how do you say that persecution and suffering was something Jesus deserved because his bad habits wronged them upon himself? See, Paul is saying it's a warped thinking, and I too once thought that, but it doesn't apply because Jesus was perfect. Jesus didn't come for his own sake. He came to set a new foundation, a new kingdom, and to to die for on our behalf and live the perfect life in doing so, but yet experience persecution. So now, Paul, in just the first one, two, three, four, five, in verse 16, and we're still in chapter 2, excuse me, we're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. In just five words, so we do not lose heart, Paul has broken down our understanding of suffering. To say, wait a minute, if you think suffering, if you think persecution is, is all your fault or is all somebody's fault, you're thinking another thing. And I want you to know it's not, so don't lose heart. Don't lose heart, baby. We in this, don't lose heart. So if now we know what, what persecution is not, Let's let Paul continue to help us understand what persecution is. In verse 16, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Y'all okay if I cool it off a little bit? All right, all right. I'm seeing them sweat beads on your forehead. Mm -hmm. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This uh, author whose last name is Furnish, he defines the, the outer self as the aspects of one's humanity, which is subject to various assaults and hardships. It is, it is that which you can see. The outer self is, is, is your physical body that others can harm or that you can see somebody harming. And I've, I've, I, I, I liken this to, to, to a baby, or a ch- no, I shouldn't say a baby, a, a child. For my, for my youth in the room, and I'm going to raise my hand and be in one of the youth for a second. Uh, have you ever done something so bad that you got a spanking? Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> a couple kids was like, <laughs> I 
you see a child get a spanking, and even though you know the spanking is deserved, you still are sometimes like, ooh, ooh, ooh. you like, because you see, even though it's something that could be even good for them to help create boundaries for them, you still are like, ooh, ooh. You know, you, 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 can, ooh, you can see it physically. But then there's a, an inward aspect that he says in verse 16. The inner self is being renewed day by day. That, that inner self is, is, is what God is doing. It is, it is God's love, God's presence, God's continued care for his people that in spite of what you go through physically on the outside that the world, friends, and everybody else can see, there's an inner thing that's happening that don't nobody else know about. That's something that's you and God and intimate, and you can tell people about it, but it can't be seen by the eyes. And God is saying that it is in that place that he, will, that he renews us. He might give you the physical strength to have a, an immediate healing. But, but what he does definitely is renew you inside. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, one chapter ahead, verse 18 says this. It says, and we all with unveiled, unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this, for this comes from the Lord who is a spirit. That daily being renewed is us every day looking more and more like Christ. Every day looking more and more like Christ. Every day looking more and more like Christ. Why do I say every day? Because every day we need to be renewed in order to look more and more like Christ. Because I don't know about you, because if I skip a day, I might not look more and more like Christ. I might look more and more like something else. Every day I need We need to be renewed. And so God says that that that's what he does. But but uh, but continue on with me in verse 17. It says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison. Affliction. Affliction, you know it, you know that it hurts. You know that it means pain. You know that affliction is not welcomed and usually signed up for that you run to. Affliction hurts, you know? And 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 I I've I haven't experienced this yet with my own children, but I experienced it with my cousins when I was young. My cousins would wake up in the middle of the night crying out. And my aunts would come in and say, what's wrong? And they would say, my my bones ache. And I don't know if it's a medical term or not, but all of my family called it growing pains. That something is stretching and it's moving and you are, I don't know what that was. That was maybe like a contortion or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> but, but your muscles are aching for a reason that, that man, you, you hitting a growth spurt or something. Like you are, you are, you're feeling it right now. And we knew that while that pain was real and while that pain was hurting, while that pain was severe, it was only for a moment. 
you don't have growing pains, physical growing pains forever. You don't, it's only for a moment. So when you look at it, all you try to do is care for that person until it passes. You see, Paul is trying to help us get that these afflictions, they are real and they hurt, but it's only for a moment. It does not last forever. It's only for a snippet. But notice how he describes them. He describes them as light. As light. Now, it's interesting that he would describe an affliction, something that hurts as light. But look back at, at, at the way he shows the contrast between each of these issues. Back up in verse 8, he says, uh, where am I? Yeah, we're still in 2 Corinthians 4, and verse 8, he shows this great comparison. I want to make sure I say it correctly. He says that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Do you see how he he shows you the contrast of, yeah, it hurts, but it's not so bad that I'm going to let it kill you? Persecuted, yep, but not forsaken by me. Struck down, but not destroyed. So, yeah, it hurts, but it's light in comparison to what it could be. You see, he's, he's trying to help us get, get, a, get the right perspective on what persecution is and the effects of it. But we can only do that when we see what we're compares, comparing it to. Hey, sister. What about persecution when someone does die? Sister, that is a great question. I think that uh, in, in this chapter, he's trying to build the case that that the people of God see persecution and others see persecution as a, uh, as a, 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 how do I say, as something brought upon by themselves due to unhealthy living or as a result of showing that God's favor is not with them. I think it's clear in other passages that we have martyrs and we have uh, persecution can lead to death. But the issue that he's trying to address here is, Don't question my ability to preach the gospel because you see me suffering. Actually, I want you to see suffering is a tool that helps to advance the gospel. So great question. Uh, But in this context here, he's trying to fight against a people who are who are questioning his gospel centered authority. Amen. My brother. Amen. 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 Great segue, brother. Great segue. See that? Verse 17 is where my brother's getting that from. When you compare the afflictions that we can receive here, that they're they're just a moment, just last for a moment. It's light in comparison to the weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. A weight of glory that is eternal, that will last forever. So how long is the persecution that one will receive in comparison to eternity? But a a blink. Truly, but a blink. 
And y'all are probably like, Pastor, we just had a, a great weekend of kicking it together and doing our discipleship retreat. And why are you coming in here with such a sad topic? <laughs> Talking about persecution of people. I was trying to smile today. <laughs> but the but but the reality family is is as we continue to do life together as we continue to be on mission together as we continue to pursue Christ together we got some hard stuff ahead of us and if we for some reason have the wrong perspective and focus in solely on the pain focus in solely on Oh, why me? Focus on solely on, man, it happened to us again versus God, your eternity is so much grander, so much bigger than each of these little issues. And I don't want to say little to minimize them in your life because they hurt. Paul doesn't say affliction doesn't hurt. He says it hurts, but he says compare it to eternity with a loving God who knows no time, whose presence you will be in with no anger with no pain, with no afflictions. When you know that that's your end game, now how you handle things, it's, it's got to change. How, does, how these situations are brought towards you, you got to put them in right perspective. I, uh, I use this analogy a lot, but I feel like it's, it's fitting. So... You go to work out. Some of y'all smiling because I didn't probably use workout analogies the last 10 sermons. So you go to work out. And uh, you got your trainer there. And your trainer is, 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 is wanting to see you work out and develop an image like that of your trainer. All right? So let's say Christ is your trainer. And Christ is working you out physically, ready to get you set up to be able to look more like him. So he says, okay, here, I'm going to take you to hit the bench. And the bench is patience. All right, Rod, let's work this patience out. And I'm going to take you over here to to do some squats, Miss Carolyn, and them squats is compassion. Okay, get your compassion squats on, you know? And then, then, Stephen, I'm going to hand you this, this, this barbell. And I want, you to, I want you to take this barbell of suffering, and I want you to work that. Now, Stephen might be ready to sign up for that. I might not be. If I can be honest, when I look at the different areas of my life that I'm willing to allow God to work me out in and grow me in, some reason suffering doesn't seem to be on that list. <laughs> suffering doesn't seem to be on that list. But, but look at the text. What, what does it say that in verse 17, what does it say these light and momentary afflictions do for us for an eternal weight of glory? Prepare. 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 So, God, you could use a light and momentary affliction, something that's painful and hurts, as a means of getting me ready for fully experiencing you where there's going to be no pain. You could use suffering as a means of helping me look more like you. Isn't that the end goal? Isn't the end goal that we would look more like Christ? 
You see how warped their view was? They're trying to escape one of the very vehicles God wants to use as a tool of growth. Can can you relate? Have you you been there? Where you you wanted to escape suffering because, because the pain was what was most immediate? Because of you, you can and you can answer so many reasons of why why we want to escape it, but it's but it's but it's it's clear that that it's a tool that God can use for His glory, and a, a tool that God does use to prepare us for an eternal reality. A tool that God uses to allow us to have an image like His. So in verse eighteen. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Before the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I wish uh, Mike and Alicia were here because I, uh, I, was, I called her to ask her to help me understand like photography. Because I've seen where you can take a picture of an image picture of this room and somehow you can make it so that it focuses in on just that light but then you can take the same exact picture and make the focus switch to that door same room nothing moved nothing displaced but it's all about where you choose to focus my sister told me that it's an issue of aperture an aperture is the, the size of the hole by which you let in the light and the speed by which it clicks. And I hope I'm doing her justice. I'm kind of thankful she ain't here because she'd be like, no, nah, that ain't how I go, you know. <laughs> but the hole, the size of the hole by which it lets in the light. Family, if, if, if Christ is our light, would we be the ones that would allow him to give us an eternal focus? that looks past all of the earthly things that seek to gain our attention, the earthly aspects that seek to have all of our, our affections. When Christ is saying, it's ain't a short-term game. This is long-term. Where are you focused? And when you're focused on eternity with me, it helps you to properly put the challenges that come day by day into the light and momentary category. Family, I, I, I see this playing out in a few different ways, and one of those ways is evangelism. We doing all right? Is the air cool? Turn it off? Okay, I'm starting to get chilly, but I... Uh, I see this play out in evangelism. I see sometimes the, 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 the fear of what might be a true persecution and how somebody might respond if, if, if we share the gospel, the, the fear of what they might think, the fear of how they might label us super Christian, crazy radical, um, not loving, judgmental. Can I keep the list going on? Because y'all know there's about 50 more things that I could use that we somehow drum up in our heads. 
But as I was reading this, I was convicted because while at times I share my faith, I've not had a time where I'm not scared, really. But while I was reading this, it convicted me and led me kind of to this question of. What if we preferred to be in God's glory and our eternal destiny so much that we prefer being disliked or misunderstood for Christ's sake more than we liked people liking our personality. Let me, let me say it another way. What if people did not like you and your personality and they didn't want you around, but they were thankful and gracious to you that you welcomed them to Christ? Would you be happy? Would you be happy if people was like, man, I don't, I don't like that dude. She needs to never come to my home again. But I'm so thankful that she told me who Jesus is. I'm telling you, I struggle with that. I struggle with it. Because I want to say, but no, we can have both. And da, 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 da. No, but you see the question. The question forces you to, to make a choice. Which one would you rather have? And we all should say we would rather have Christ. We would rather that person know Christ and not like us. We should all should be able to say that because of the eternal game plan, right? Because we only with each other for a blip, for a second. But we will be in eternity with God forever. But is it easy to answer that? It's not. And that's why we need to continue to be renewed. Continue to be renewed daily by God's word to give us the eternal perspective that 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 we struggle with, the eternal perspective that we fall short in having sometime. We need to continue to be diving in God's word so that we can be reminded of the perspective that is that is forever. There was a. A famous, uh, a famous evangelist that told of the following incident. You know what? Before I get to that, this eternal perspective, like, do you, do you realize, and maybe it's your first time hearing it, that, that Jesus died so that you could fully experience peace with the Father? He died so that you could fully be in his presence. We are sinful people. And Jesus, in his love, came into humanity. God himself came into our existence so that we could have right relationship with God. And so that eternal reality that we get to delight in all took place at the cross. The cross is where Jesus says, now, Father, would you reconcile them to yourself? And, Father, and God says, excuse me, I want to be really clear when I say Jesus says. Jesus didn't say that. I was paraphrasing. But God says it was finished. That everything that took place for reconciliation to happen was met at the cross. And then it was confirmed and solidified when we saw a man who died on the cross actually walking around in the streets alive. When the resurrection happened, it was further confirmation. Man, 
What he said he was going to do, he did. And nobody else fits in this category. Many before him have died. None have died and lived again. If you are a person that's in this room and you're like, man, I hear you talking about this long-term perspective, but I'm not sure where I am with this Jesus. Please, please see one of us as leaders, but don't leave the same. Don't leave wanting to, to, to avoid suffering and avoid persecution, all these other things. Leave saying, Jesus, are you worth me going through persecution? Are you really worth it? If so, would you show me? If so, would you, would you show me that you are worth it? And I believe he will show you. So there was a famous evangelist that told her the following incident. I got this from uh, Our Daily Bread. He says, I have, a, I have a friend who in a time of business recession lost his job. He lost a sizable fortune and his beautiful home. To add to his sorrow, his precious wife died. Yet he was tenacious, yet he tenaciously held to his faith. The only thing, that was the only thing that he had left. One day, when he was out walking in search of, excuse me, one day while he was out walking in search of employment, he stopped to watch some men who were doing stonework on a large church. One of them was chiseling a triangular piece of rock. Where are you going to put that, he asked. The workman said, do you see that little opening up there near the spire? Well, I'm shaping this stone so that it will fit right in there. Tears filled the friend's eyes as he walked away, for the Lord had spoken to him through that laborer whose words gave new meaning to his troubled situation. Family, persecution is not, I think as our pastor has said many times, is not an enemy of the church. Persecution is a tool that God uses to refine us, to chisel us, to make us more into his image. And that persecution is only but a moment in comparison to a grand eternity with God. Let us pray. Father, may we have eternal perspective. Eternal perspective helps us in evangelism. Eternal perspective helps us in our marriages. Eternal perspective helps us when we are called to serve. Eternal perspective helps us when we've been wronged and when we are experiencing pain. God, you've said that you've experienced persecution and that your body would as well. So we know that it's coming. May we have the right experience, excuse me, the right perspective as we go through it. We love you, Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.